Hey everyone, it's Pastor Eddie from River of Life. Just want to say thank you for joining us on our podcast. Now let's get ready to hear a word from the Lord today. What does God want to speak to our hearts today? So come on, open your Bibles, open your hearts, and let's get into the Word. I'm going to talk about Balaam tonight. Uh, I'm going to talk about compromising, killing compromise tonight. Before compromise kills you. That's a pretty good headline, right? Kill, com- killing compromise before compromising kills you. I don't know. We could do something like, call it something like that. But we're going through the book of James, and we're landing in James 4. Uh, I talked about this scripture a couple of months ago, and I was going to skip over it entirely and mention the latter end of chapter 4. But since I've been talking about spiritual warfare on Sundays and, and overcoming temptation and the devil and the enemy, I thought it's appropriate that we go ahead and stick to first uh, portion of chapter four, where James tells us about being submitted to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Kind of goes with what we've been talking about on Sunday. So tonight might be a going deeper, a little bit of a life group kind of thing, but I wanted to do something different. I've been reading on Balaam. A couple of months ago, I, I reread that story in Numbers, and there were some things that jumped out to me. So uh, we're going to try to pull all of this together and then land at James 4, 8 when it's all done, if we can do it that way. How many think we could do it? Yeah? Amen. So if you're new to Wednesday night or you ain't been here in a while, this is uh, what we do on Wednesday night. We go a little deeper in the Word. We go verse by verse. It's kind of more of a teaching than uh, than preaching. Uh and it's just a good opportunity to learn uh, from God's word tonight. Amen. So, and we've been going through the book of James, as I said. I believe uh, Brother Gary taught last week. How'd he do, guys? Did he do good? Come on. Amen. Give me the hand. He did good, right? Amen. Amen. Some of you might. <laughs> it's not easy to get up and teach and talk and share the word of God for. 45 minutes or so, and uh, no, I heard you did really good, brother, talking about the tongue, and uh, yeah, it's good, so appreciate that. It's our men's director, and uh, it's an awesome man of God. Um, all right, so we're in the book of James. Uh, what else is on my heart? Yeah, I just wanted to share, we had a very good growth track Sunday night. We had another good turnout, uh, 10 or 9 uh, adults and coming, wanting to join the church, and, and again, another good full group, and any of them are here. Met some very cool people from different parts of the world. Uh, we got a lady been attending our church. She's from West Africa, and uh, she uh, she she said that little boy can preach the word. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I'm gonna have to have her get a microphone and say that in front of everybody. But she came here not knowing what kind of church we were, and she was needless to say blessed by the little boy preaching the word. So I don't know how to take that. I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> awesome woman of God, though. She's a prayer warrior and just some great people uh, that God has sent our way. Some have been coming for a couple of years and uh, just decided just now to come through Growth Track. That's fine. That's what it's here for. But it's encouraging that uh, God is building his church, isn't he? Isn't he? And uh, it's, it's encouraging. It's, it's exciting. And uh, yeah, God is good. So uh, hallelujah. All right. So let's do this. Let's uh, you're at James 4. Thanks, Pastor Steve. We'll just go ahead and get into the word. 
What I'm going to read to you, now James is very uh, blunt, he's very harsh, he, he come across straightforward, but if you look at the book of James, uh, more of the perspective where, where he is trying to protect us, not just correct us. He's trying to protect us. So whenever you come across some strong um, uh, you know, instruction from the word of God, we don't need to get all defensive, we need to know that God... Is, uh, has a motive and perspective to protect us. So James is wanting to protect us uh, from, from some things. And like I was saying Sunday, we are the weapon. Amen? We are God's weapon. And he's always had a problem with his weapon. He doesn't have a problem with the devil. He's, he has a problem with his weapon. That's us. Being effective and being available for God. And that's what we're all called to do is to be used by God to bring the kingdom of God to our area, our circle of influence, our family, our wherever we are. We are to bring the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. That's why we're given the Holy Spirit. Um, that's why we're given our resources and all the blessings that God has given us. Uh, and when you get kingdom-minded and you, we understand that, then look out, devil, because we're able to take territory. But most of the time, we get distracted. We get discouraged. We think we're not good enough. God can't use us. We don't know enough of the Bible. We're not perfect. We got struggles. And, we're, and the next thing you know, we're doing, we're just sidelined. And uh, that's a trick of the enemy. And so like, as I was finishing up Sunday preaching how all these scriptures that in Jeremiah, uh, which talks about we are the uh, weapon of God, and Isaiah, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, right? Remember that scripture? And every word spoken against you, you shall condemn, it says. It don't say God will condemn it. It says you and I condemn the words. We pull down the, these uh, words spoken against us uh, because we are the weapon. We have that power and ability and the authority, that's the key word tonight, the authority through Jesus Christ to be overcomers and to have victory. That's, that's what we're called to do. Um, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, another scripture I had tonight. You can write it down. If you're taking notes, please take notes because, again, they're not on the screen tonight. So we're going to be going from James to 1 John and then to Numbers, okay, and then back to James. That's the plan. Um, or you can listen and write these down, but it's good if you go to your Bible and see them. This one you can just write down, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. You probably know it. Uh, if you've been under my ministry at all, you've heard me quote. It's one of the first scriptures I heard. For the weapon, memorized, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, for mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, uh, imaginations, and every single thing, every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God to bring every thought captivity uh, under our, into captivity. In other words, when we get bombarded with thoughts that are that are sinful, temptations, thoughts that go against God, uh, doubt, unbelief. Whenever we have these kind of thoughts that come into our mind, we're told in Scripture that we have the power and the ability to cast those thoughts down. Amen? We cast them down. You don't dwell on them. You don't feed them. Uh, you just cast them down in Jesus' name. When I first got saved, I had to do that like 50 times a day. Seriously. Um, that's just where I was, come out of that kind of lifestyle, and it works. The more of God's word I put into my heart, more of God's word I meditated on, the stronger I got, fed my spirit, man, and I was, I was on my way. So we are the weapon. We, have, uh, we are the ambassadors of Christ. The scripture teaches us that we are the ambassadors of Christ, right? 
We are the agents of change. We are. We're supposed to change culture. Just like the book of Acts, the early church changed Rome, right? After the day of Pentecost, they went right back to the same Rome. Uh, Caesar didn't become a Christian when Jesus rose from the dead. Rome didn't say, okay, guys, let's put out our idolatry and let's all join this church. Nope. It was the same Rome that crucified Christ that the apostles had to live their life and had to carry on the mission. And they did it with the power of the Holy Spirit. And they ended up being consistent and persisted with the word of God persistently and ended up turning Rome upside down in the known world uh, for Christ because they had this mindset that we need to get today is that we are the weapon. We are overcomers. Um, we can do all things through Christ. Okay. We have all authority through the name of Jesus, right? That's what Jesus told us. Luke chapter 9, he also said in Mark 16 that these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they will drive out devils, they will heal the sick, they will speak with new tongues, right? They, they will do these things. Uh, these are the signs shall follow them that believe. Now, here's the point that James gets to. But there is a caveat, okay? There is a warning to avoid compromise. Now, here's where I'm going with this thing tonight. We're told in Scripture to avoid compromise because compromise, what does compromise mean, by the way? We, we know what it means, but it's always good to look these words up and get a specific definition. The word compromise in your, in your uh, dictionary says it's the acceptance of standards that are lower than is desirable. Say that again. The acceptance of standards that are lower than is desirable. We compromise. We know God wants us to do this. He knows he wants us to live like this. He wants us to follow him with all of our heart. We're told this the standard that God set, Jesus said it, the apostles said it, the scriptures are, are all in there. That's the standard. Compromise is when we go, that we know we need to be there, but I'm just going to kind of give in here. That's compromising. And there's a danger with doing that. I'm not talking about salvation tonight. I'm talking about you having power and authority. Because compromising dulls our ability to hear the voice of God. It weakens our uh, authority. The enemy is not afraid. He's not going to run from us. And I'll show you what James is talking about. That's where James is coming. So James is protecting us from a disaster. By saying, guys, keep your standards high, and if you do fall, repent and get back up. But don't settle for this mindset that we are just sinners. You ever hear people say that, I'm just an old sinner? Yeah, there's a sin nature, and I'm going to show you that in 1 John. But when you become a Christian, you go from a sinner. I'm going to shake somebody up if you've got a Catholic background. Are you ready? You're going to go from sinner to saint. You're sitting next to a saint. Tell the person next to you, say, I am saint. Whatever your name is, there you go. How you doing, St. Lawrence? <laughs> I'm not making fun of the tradition, but the Bible says in Ephesians that we are saints. Paul says, as he got older in his faith, he said, I am, you know, least than all the apostles. And then he said he was least uh, of all the saints. And then toward the end of his ministry, his last letter that he ever wrote was to 2 Timothy. He said, I am the chief of sinners. So it's the older he got, 
the more he knew who he really was. It was in humility. But that did not mean that Paul went around living in a lifestyle of sin. On the contrary, he said, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. So even though we have a sin nature and a fallen nature and the ability and even a propensity to sin, we are not led by those sinful desires. We are to follow the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit to a life of victory, peace, joy, contentment. And authority is over here. Authority, power is over here. Amen? And so that's what James is coming from. And so let's look and see what James tells us. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? They come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. And you lust or you desire, but you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask the wrong way. You, you, you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasure. Adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you feel good reading this? He's flat out just ringing the bell right here. And he's just, he's just saying this. These are metaphorically uh, terms in the Old Testament for those who break their vows of love of serving God. If, if, okay, he explains it here by saying, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of this world, this not playing sports and living your life, and that's what I'm talking about. He's talking about the worldly system that has its own values, morals, and beliefs that go against God's values, morals, and beliefs. That system called the world is what the Bible means, the term world, when Paul writes about it and James writes about it, okay? It's not the world that we all enjoy cutting the grass and sitting in the backyard with a lemonade thanking God, okay? I gotta say that. It, it's the, he's not talking about that. Enjoy life. We should be the ones enjoying life the most because we have God in us. It's the godless culture that we live in. James says, don't even become a friend with that. Because if you become a friend with that, you become, you make yourself an enemy to God. Do you not, do you think that the scripture says this in vain, that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? In other words, he wants to be number one. The spirit of God wants to be number one. God wants to be number one in our life. But he gives more grace, because we need grace to live it. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I mentioned that Sunday. I don't have time to unpack all of that. This is where I want to get to is verse 7. Therefore, you see? So he says all of that, and then he says therefore, right? What do I always say? Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to know why it's there for. And it's there because of everything he just said. Now he's going to sum it up. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's it. That's it. Isn't that good? That's really good. That's powerful. And we'll stop right there. So he says that we need to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submission. Submission is an attitude. It's an attitude word. It's a word about the heart. It's not too much about an action as much as it is about an attitude. Because you can do what God told you to do. You can obey but not really have the heart for obedience, right? Like you could tell your kid, take the trash out. No, mom. And they grab that, and they grab that garbage and they take the trash out. But man, they're just, 
mumbling underneath their breath all the way to the trash can. Right? They're obeying what you said, but they're not submitted to what you said. He later says about the devil believing in God. Remember that? We covered that devil level faith. The devil believes. The devil will obey, but the, the uh, devil does not love God. He does not obey because he loves God. He obeys because he's afraid of God. So here, the submission is an attitude thing. Isaiah, uh, I think I, I didn't have it on the screen, but there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Okay, that's a good scripture. He's talking about willing and obedient. So what we need to strive for is a uh, obedient, submissive heart, a heart that wants to serve God. And when you and I first become a Christian, he, the Spirit of God comes into you and I, and we do have the desire. And then the struggle begins. When you become a Christian, the struggle begins. Paul writes about it in Romans 6, 7, and 8, especially in 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I hate to do, that I do. I find this awful thing within me. Who will deliver me from you know, Christ Jesus? That He's talking about the struggle. struggle. But then I love when you, you can't just park your doctrine in Romans 7. You got to continue to read, I say six, seven, and then eight. Because when you get to eight, Paul then says, uh, This is how we got the victory. It's in Christ Jesus. And he starts talking about living for God. But there is a struggle that we all fight. And it's this attitude and this heart thing. And James is telling us that it's connected to our authority over the devil. When our heart is submitted to God, not perfect, but submitted to God, then you are walking in the authority that God has called us to. And there is a difference between you and I living for God and we sin, we see sin in our life, we, we fall, we fail, we miss the mark, you know, what, we sin daily, yeah, I understand that, with, doubt, with different things. There's a difference between that kind of person that's following God and you sin, you blow it, you say, God, I'm sorry, you repent, you get back up and you go. That, that is one thing. It's a completely different thing for someone to have a heart that's rebellious against God, living in willful, open sin between, before everyone, and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they're not living the life at all. That's a completely different thing. That right there is the danger that James is telling us to stay away from. First John, I want you to go over there in your Bibles, I don't have it. Uh, tonight on the screen, which it works out good. You need to see this in your Bible because First John actually writes about this very thing, and he talks about the willful sin. There is a difference between, in fact, in the Old Testament, there were two different sacrifices for sin. Did you know that? There was the unintentional sin sacrifice and the intentional sin sacrifice. And that one right there, God was very harsh on. He said, don't be going out there willfully sinning. You're, gonna, you're, you're abusing the system. Okay? But there was two different sacrifices. You can look it up in Leviticus. An unintentional sacrifice, sin sacrifice and a, and a willful one. Here, this is what John is talking about. John is a, is a Jewish man who grew up in the church and in the tradition. So I'm sure he gets this from the Old Testament. But he brings it into the New Testament. So this is New Testament theology. Are you ready? Is this too deep for us tonight? I don't know. We have your coffee. You ready? You good tonight? All right. This is good. Look what he says. 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. He says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, or sister, sinning a sin, which does not lead to death. Okay. That is, that is someone who is struggling with something. 
He sent in a sin, but it doesn't lead to death. He will ask, and God will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. (laughs) I do not say that he should pray about that. And then he makes this broad statement, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. What is he talking about, Willis? Watch this. Let's keep going. Then he says this. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. What? But he who has been born of God keeps himself. And here he goes right back to the devil. And the wicked one does not touch him. Mm, Now he's tying in what James is telling us. You see how this is connected. And then I love the next scripture. We're here, so let's just read it. He says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Wow, the whole world? Yep, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the sons of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him. So he says this. He said there's two different sins. There is a sin that's not leading unto death. There is a sin that leads to death. Those are two different sins he's talking about. If you see your brothers over here sinning a sin that doesn't lead to death, he's talking about someone that is struggling. They're trying to live for God. They're caught in a cycle, and, and, and they're just trying their best. John says, pray for them. Help them. This is Galatians. Restore a brother that has been overtaken in the thought, but be careful lest you also fall. Let him who is spiritual. I love what Paul says. Let him who is spiritual. Somebody say Spiritual. Someone who is mature, go to the brother struggling and try to pull him out. If you're struggling with alcohol, don't go try to help a brother that's struggling with alcohol. Because both of y'all are going to end up at the bar. I know this thing is just <laughs> being funny. But you know what I'm saying. Seriously. That's your Bible. Your Bible says, let him who has some victory in his life, who has overcome that dragon, who has overcome that devil, who's overcome that sin, let him go and restore, brother, but even him. Don't get too cocky and beware lest he also be tempted. That's Galatians. The Bible says that. So here John's talking about a sin that leadeth not to death. And then he talks about here is a sin that does lead unto death. This is that willful, open rebellion against God. I know what God wants me to do, but you know what? I'm going to live my own life and the grace of God. Yeah, it'll just cover me. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Pop in church every now and then. Read the Bible every now and then. That right there. But continue in a willful life of sin. We are not going to have any power or authority over the wicked one. That's what he's saying. Again, he's trying to protect us. He's trying to protect us and to say, hey, this is serious. It's not about you. You know, God's not saying... Don't sin because it's bad. Don't sin because I don't want you to have any fun. God's not saying, don't sin because it's not in my... No, no, God said, I designed you, and I know the laws of the spiritual world. And the devil knows the laws of the spiritual world. And I'm trying to protect you and your authority. And it's not that I'm being mean and sin is bad. I'm saying you cannot have victory, peace, joy, and all of the blessings of God if you are living in willful sin. You are stepping out of my arena of my covenant with you. I'm gonna, that's where name it, or Balaam is coming. That's where I'm going to bring you to Balaam and show you that. How many is with me so far? You with me? Okay. Amen. That's, that's what he's talking about here. 
So there's a difference between, you know, uh, sin where we struggle. I sin, yeah, I sin every day. There are things I come short in my life, things I should say, do, thoughts, whatever, they sin. You can blow it. There's a totally different thing from that in a willful rebellion against God, which, which will render us powerless against the enemy. And I could take you from Genesis chapter 4, and these were some of the scriptures I had. Genesis chapter 4 is where God told Cain and Abel. He told Cain, he said, Cain, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you're, you're supposed to rule over it. Uh, so we're told right then and there that there is a spiritual door we can open to allow the enemy. Uh, there's another one I had. It was in the New Testament. What does Paul say in, in Ephesians? Give no place to the devil. That's what Paul said. He said, give no, give no place to the devil. That word place, by the way, means territory or foothold. So Paul says, don't be living in willful rebellion against God because you're giving the devil a foothold. You're giving him territory. You're opening up the door to allowing him to, have, to oppress you. You can be a child of God and be oppressed by the devil. You can. The guy in the Bible, his name is Lot. In 2 Peter, he says that Lot is a righteous man and he was oppressed by the devil. Are you guys keeping up? Are you following me with this? I know it's a lot. But this is, this is all in the same world. So we need to shut these doors. And I'm saying shut the doors not because we're afraid of, we're going to go to hell. Shut the doors so we can have full authority and power. You remember the seven sons of Sceva? Uh, a couple of Sundays ago, I told you that story. These were pastor's kids who wasn't submitted to God. They just knew about God. And they tried to get the devil out. And the devil answered them back and said, who are you? <laughs> and beat them up. That's a, a perfect example of someone who knew about Jesus, but wasn't submitted to Jesus. The devil said, I ain't got to listen to you. I'll never forget a story about Leonard Ravenhill told this. And then Steve Hill would repeat it. There was a huge revival in Argentina back in the 80s. And it was just miracles happening over in Argentina like crazy. And there was a lot of people that practiced uh, Satanism and, and the dark arts. And they were coming into the villages trying to cast spells on them. And they ended up getting delivered. They were demon-possessed people. It was like wild over in Argentina. It went on for a very long time. So they had this tent. They had these tents set up. And they were would heal, they would bring people that needed prayer for healing, and miracles were breaking out. Well, then they started getting all these people that were demon-possessed, like the real thing, you know, like exorcists, like crazy stuff. It wasn't just people that was just depressed, no, demonic, okay? I've seen that. It's real. It's real. Uh, And this was happening in in an American, very popular Christian went over there and to visit, and he got off... uh, and was coming in, and he heard all about it, and they wanted to bring him into the tent. This is the deliverance tent, man. There were people demon-possessed getting delivered. And, I, and, and they said this, Leonard Ravenhill, he wrote even about it in his book. He didn't name the preacher, but he pretty much guessed, you could guess who it is. Describe who it is. This preacher stopped. He said, I'm not going in there because I got willful sin in my life. And he knew right then and there that he had no authority. And he goes into that tent, it's going to be ugly. See what I'm saying? Because he knew, and that's unfortunate, hopefully he got his life right with God and he turned out, but he's actually absolutely right. You and I, that's why the enemy tries to get us into bondage. That's why he came to Jesus with temptation. Why is he going to tempt the Son of God? Because he wanted to stop him. If Jesus would have caved to any one of those three temptations, we would not be here today. 
Jesus would have no authority. He would have taken the authority. What did he say in the temptation? All this authority has been given to me over this world. Where did he get it? He got it from Adam. And he's looking at Jesus and he said, if you just bow down to me, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world. And if you study that portion out, what he's given to Jesus, I guarantee that's what he told the third of the angels in heaven that caused them to fall. I know that's what he told them. Now, we read it in the Bible, and it's like, yeah, Jesus was taken up on a hill and showed the kingdoms of the world, and we kind of visualize it. This was real. This was like the real deal. Like Satan took him up there, and he just showed him the known, this was like the known kingdoms of the world, Egypt, Mesopotamia, Rome, uh, Dubai, I don't know, whatever was there in those days, right in front of him. He could see them. And he said, if you just bow down to me, I'll give you all of them. Just like that. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to take the authority from Jesus. It would have been game over. But Jesus said, Satan, I've been, I've been waiting on this. He said, the word, it is written. See that? Because he submitted to God. What did Jesus later on say to Peter and his disciples? He said, the God of this world is coming for me. But he has nothing in me. Because I'm fully submitted to God. Now, Jesus was perfect. We may not be perfect, but we can still be fully submitted. So it's not talking about being perfect. It's about being submitted. And a person who is submitted, when you do sin, the Holy Spirit will convict you and I. And he says that he who is born again doesn't continue to sin. That's what he means by does not sin means does not practice the sin. If you can continue to go back to that old life after you receive Christ, something's not right. You can try it and you'll be miserable and that's the Holy Spirit saying, what are you doing here? You got all authority and power of heaven and what are you living way below these means for, man? And he'll start convicting us of sin. Man, I got to get over to Balaam. Okay, quit talking. So, you getting this? So, we need to be submitted to the Lord, but a submitted Christian is quick to open. Now, I want to show you this guy named Balaam in the Bible. We'll come back to James. Balaam is over in Numbers chapters 22 through 25. Three chapters. I'm not going to talk about all of them, um, but he is a... I could, I could tell you about uh, Joshua, Joshua and... Um, excuse me, uh, AI. There's another example and Ai sinned, and Joshua fell before God on his face, and he cried out. And he said, God, why are we losing the battle? Why are we losing the battle? You promised you'd never leave us. You promised you'd fight for us. And what did God tell him? God said, Joshua, get up off your face. Quit praying to me. You have sin in the camp. And then he says this powerful statement. Israel cannot stand against its enemies with the disobedience in their life. Joshua got up and he went and he found out it was AI. And there you got that. That's a spiritual principle. So, again, willful, rebellious sin. I'm not talking about sinning and God convicting you and you are repentant of that. This guy named Balaam, he's in Numbers 22. When you first read the story, you think, wow, this guy's a pretty good guy. Well, spoiler alert, he's not a good guy. He's not a good guy. But I'm going to read a couple of verses, and you're going to think, like I did when I first read it, oh, yeah, this guy's a good guy. So Balaam is actually a prophet. They were called seers in the Old Testament. Uh, uh, they had the ability to prophesy and, and, and speak blessings and curses. And So Balaam was the guy. There's another guy named Balak. Okay, so it can get confusing because they both sound the same, Balaam and Balak. 
Balak is a really bad guy, and Balaam is a prophet of God, but we learn later that he's a, a prophet that has a little compromise problem. So in Numbers chapter 22, let's look at it. It says, Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, here's that guy, Balak, he's the son of Zippor. Okay, they didn't have last names in the Bible, so they always would tell you the, the lineage. And they saw that Israel, what they have done to the Amorites and, and, the Mo, and Moab was exceedingly afraid. So let me just paraphrase. So you get, you get these two countries, the Moabites and the Midianites, get together. And this guy named Balak said, Israel has God on their side. And they just tore through Jericho, Egypt. Listen, and they are, listen, he even says, he even says he's sick. If you look at verse 3, they were sick with fear. Because of the children of Israel. They are petrified of Israel. So this guy's panicking. And then he says in verse 5, Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, okay, which is near the river in the land of the sons of the people. And they called him, and they said, Come out, verse 6, Therefore, please come at once and curse this people for us, for me. For they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he who you curse is cursed. So he has a reputation. So Balak comes and he sends money, and he gives money to Balaam. He says, Balaam, come out here, and I want you to curse these people. Put a curse on them. Because we know you, you are a man, you know, of, you're a spiritual man. And when you say a cursing on somebody, it happens and I, we're afraid of this Israel, so they gave him money. And so Balaam says, okay, he gets all this money, and look, look at Balaam. And so Balaam is standing there, and then look at God in verse 9. Now, we don't know how this happened. It was either in a dream, a vision, or what, but he spoke, and he says, then God came to Balaam, and he said, who are these people with you? I love that. Who are these men with you? Who's in your circle? Who's these people? And Balaam said, oh, that's Balak. He's the, like, first of all, like, God don't know who they are. Okay. Whenever God asks us a question, he's not looking for information. Adam, where are you? Oh, he's under that bush. I didn't see you under that bush. No. He knew where, he knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to see where he was. So when he asks you and I a question, it's not because he don't know. Okay? So he says, who's these guys with you? He says, oh, it's Balak, the son of Zippor. And he goes on, and he says, they want me to curse God's people. Verse 12, and God said to Balaam, look at here, very clear, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Do you hear that? Very plain, very clear. That's the instruction of the Lord. God said, don't go with them. Do not curse my people. They are a blessed people. Now, when I first read that, I'm going, okay. And then all of a sudden, verse 13, it says, So then Balaam rose up in the morning, and he said to the princes of Balak, he says, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. I was like, wow, that's cool. This guy's right on. And then all of a sudden, you find out that Balak, he says, no, I don't, I don't want to settle for that. Let me give you more money. 
So he gives him more money, and he goes back to God, and he goes back, Balaam goes back to God, and he says, um, they gave me more money. Can, can, I, can I go with them? And then God, you know, I don't have time to tell you all of it. It gets really weird and crazy there for a minute. God begins, if you're going to get crazy with God, he's going to get crazy with you. Just look at David's life. David acted like he was a lunatic one time to get away. When you get out of the will of God, you will act like a lunatic sometimes. I'm telling you, you will get crazy. And God will let you get weird and crazy. So Balaam went ahead and did that. He goes back. He goes back three different times. And every time he gets up to curse God's people, he, pronou he pronounces a blessing over them. And this makes Balak mad. He says, man, I keep giving you all this money and you're blessing them. I need you to curse them. And they go back and forth. And so Balak goes, maybe we need to go higher up in the mountain. And he goes, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so he gives them more money. They literally go up higher in the mountain. They build another big altar. This is like three weeks of work. And he says, Balaam gets out there. Oh, blessed are you, tents of Jacob. And he starts blessing them three times. He gets God. This guy is furious. And he ends up getting all the way. And I want you to see this. And you read all of this, and man, it's really cool stuff, and I love it because it says God's in the middle of all of this. Out of Balaam's mouth says, um, no curse shall ever attach itself to God's people, for they are blessed. I mean, God uses them like a puppet, you know, and just says that word. This, this is a powerful truth. And Balak's like pulling his hair. Oh my gosh, this guy. They go back and forth. Then look at chapter 24, verse 25. Let me, so far, it looks like Balaam, you know, he's not a terrible guy so far. I mean... You know, not a compromising guy, right? And then verse 25, it says, So Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his own way. So it looks like they just, this thing didn't work. Balaam went back to his place. Balak went back to his place. It looks like that's over, whatever that was. Three chapters of weird stuff, okay? And then all of a sudden... You read the next verse, which is the next chapter. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. That's where they were when they were, Balaam was pronouncing this blessing and cursing over them. And by the way, three blessings he gave them. Now watch this. And the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. Moab, wait a minute, that's one of the cities that they were afraid of Israel. And now the women from that city is now enticing the children of Israel, and they're involved with practices and sacrifices. Look at verse 2. Sacrifices to their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. The children of Israel is bowing down to Balak's gods after all of this. So Israel was joined, verse 3, he was joined to Baal of Peor, which is actually a demon spirit. I don't got time to get into that, but it is. And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And it's like, whoa, after all of that, God blessed his people, saved them from this Balaam's curse. And then they end up, if you read, they end up getting judged anyway. What happened? I thought they were blessed by God. This is the whole thing about compromise. Then you begin to read scriptures in the Bible, and I was going to have them on the screen. You can write them down. Jude 11. Jude 11 says that Balaam erred because of his greediness for profit. 
Well, well, we just read the story, and it, it didn't say that he erred. It just says he couldn't curse. He didn't do the wicked thing, and he left. No, 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 there was more. And then we finally get the biggest piece of the puzzle in the book of Revelation. That's why I love Winston that we study our Bible, right? We're, we're connecting the dots. Way in the back of the Bible in Revelations, there is a church out of the seven churches. How many know the seven churches in Revelation? One of them is called Pergamos. What is Pergamos known for? The compromising church. The compromising church, Jesus says this word to them, oh, two and a half thousand years after Balaam. This is what Jesus says. He says, I have a few things against you because you have some people there that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So this is what happened at the, in between the chapter breaks. Balaam said, I can't curse them because they are blessed by God. But he said, Balak, if you want to get these people to stop, if you want to stop the weapon that God has on the earth, which is his people, I can't touch them. The devil can't touch them unless you get them to compromise. Have your women go into their camps and entice their men and get their men to begin to have affairs with them and sexually draw them away. And once they get so far away from their covenant with God, they'll break their covenant and now you can take them out. That's exactly what happened. That's what he did. And so they did. Uh, judgment came. They thank God. Moses begins to rally the people and to say, hey, we need to repent of this. And the good news is they broke their compromise, uh, their idolatry. They repented before God. They came back to God and they served God. I wanted to show you one more thing about Balaam. Go back to the first part of the story. And I want you, now that you know all of this information, if you go back and read the story of Balaam, there's some things that stick out to you a little bit more that you might have missed. Remember that part? In Numbers 22, when he comes and he says, and God says, who's these people with you? Remember that? And then he says, hey, God, it's Balak, and he wants me to curse your people. And then God says, don't curse my people, for they are blessed. Remember that? He goes back, and this is what he says. Listen to it again. He says to Balak, Balak, the Lord refused to give me permission to go with you. Now that we know what was in his heart, what, do you, what, what is there? Compare that answer to Joseph when he was being tempted by Potiphar's wife. She was luring him. She was trying to get him to compromise. He said, I will not compromise before you and my God. And he ran. This guy didn't say it. He said, I can't. God won't let me. Remember when you were grounded? <laughs> and you had friends come to your house and, hey, Eddie, can you come out and play? And I'd be upstairs. In Pickwick Apartments, condominiums, townhouses, I think they were called back then. And I would be out my window and I would say, no, I can't. Mama won't let me. Everything in my heart wanted to be out there. Everything in me wanted to be. I was not submitted to mom at all. I was just obeying the rules. Balaam is saying, I want so bad to get that money, Balak, but God won't let me. The whole point of this whole teaching is the devil ain't afraid of what you say. He's afraid of how you say it. He's afraid of your heart. 
And compromise begins in the attitude of the heart when we begin to get resentful against obeying the word of God. And we all will do it. God will test us so that we can recognize that and say, I get it out. The correct response would have been, Balak, those are God's people, and I'm one of God's people, and you better get out my face right now because I serve Jehovah Yahweh. And we are blessed. How dare you try to curse what God has blessed? That's what he should have said. But he was like, man, I can't. I really want to, but Pastor Eddie may revoke my membership if he catches me out there and, uh, you know, catches me out there. Or, or, you know what I'm saying? Or my mom, or if Pastor Eddie sees me, or if that pastor sees me. No, no, no. I tell people, you know, sometimes people, I'll be with some folks, you know, down at the township and stuff, and they know I'm a chaplain, and they'll swear. And one of them will go, oh, I'm sorry, grown men, you know. Like I want to go, okay, heathen, take him out back, you know. I, I mean, you know, I don't, it's whatever, dude. I don't care. It's between you, you and God, right? It's between you and the Lord. It's, it's not that, you know. It's the attitude of the heart that God is looking at is what I'm saying. All right, let me end with this. So how do we eliminate compromise? And it's back with James chapter 4, verse 8. Look at there, four minutes left. We did it. This is how, yeah, thank you. Amen. This is how we end compromise, okay? James says, don't be friends, friends with the world. That's how the attitude begins. We begin to compromise. We begin to get, oh, it's not so bad if I have a little bit of this, if I do a little bit of that. Next thing you know, you're starting to get way over here, and you're losing your power and authority over the enemy, and he starts to in your life, he starts that cycle back up, you're not praying no more, your devotion, you don't want to worship no more, what's happening? You've compromised and the enemy has gotten into there and you're turning into a Balaam. So he says, there's a warning there, then he says, be submitted to God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And then he says, then he says this in verse 8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So how do you cure compromise? It's simple. You stay close to God. You stay, you draw near to God. Balaam could have even did it. In Numbers 31, Joshua comes into the territory, and they're in the middle of a war. And guess who they end up finding with the enemy and with the uh, soothsayers of the enemy, the pagan worshipers, guess who's right in the middle of that crowd? Balaam. Balaam. This is what he wanted all along. And Joshua takes him out. And it says even there, for Balaam was taken out because he taught the women of Moab to seduce the children of Israel and put a stumbling block. Stumbling block. It's like, you know, a stumbling block. So we draw near to God. Everybody say attitude. It's, a, it's an attitude thing. Lord, I draw near to you, and the compromise goes away. So, you know, read in your word, prayer, um, godly good music, join a small group, share your faith, read books that help you. I mean, these are all ways to draw near to God. We know what it means to draw near to God. But compromise begins in our hearts with an attitude of our hearts. If you go back to 1 John, after he talks about the two different sins, he goes on and he says that the one that is born of God doesn't sin. And then he says, for this is the commandment of God, to love God. And he says, his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, when we really get to the place where we need to be, 
we get to that place where we want to serve God, man, it's not a burden to serve God. Even with our struggles, when we mess up, man, we're quick to repent. We're quick to get up and say, God, I failed. I'm sorry. Cleanse me in the name of Jesus. Forgive me of all of my sins. He cleanses you. He washes you clean. Guess what? And you get back in there and you go walk right back in your authority. Amen? Did you get something out of that, Lawrence? Amen. Don't be a Balaam. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you that, God, you've preserved this story for us to read, to dive into. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to our heart. And, Father, if there's any area of compromise in our hearts, Lord, where maybe over the years it's been a lot going on in our culture and our world today, Father, and, and like the pressures of the enemy tries to get us to, to jump and to push us off, Lord, Father, maybe there's areas we've allowed the enemy there. Lord, we repent of them. I pray, Holy Spirit, you reveal them to us in our hearts and that we would be quick to repent tonight and uh, turn unto you with all of our hearts, Father. And you are faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our sins and all of our unrighteousness. Hallelujah, Lord. And help us to walk in victory. We pray this because we are the weapons. We are the overcomers. Help us to walk like it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen and amen. I pray that message was a blessing to you, that you received some sort of encouragement or word of instruction from the Lord. That's our prayer at River of Light, that every time you tune in, that God speaks directly to your heart. Well, this is Pastor Eddie again. Just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast and remind you that every Tuesday, a new message is uploaded. Also, if you want to watch one of our services, head over to our YouTube channel. It's River of Life Church, a church of his presence, his promises, and all people, and you can watch one of our services that way as well. So God bless you. I pray God's presence be with you uh, for the rest of the week. Amen.